going to go into the Gospel of Matthew. And we're going to go to Matthew 6. And we're going to start in Matthew 6, 25. And then we're going to go to Matthew 7 right after. But Matthew 6, starting verse 25. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not your life more, more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. And now Matthew 7.21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father, who is in heaven. Thank you, Lucas. And yes, my condolences to the Arnott family. We have been praying for you. We love you, and let us know what we can do to continue to support you. I actually have one more announcement. Um, God gives and takes away, and so we've had a birth. And so a big congratulations to the Kazakoff family, and we should have a picture up here. This is Bowen Ivor Kazakoff, and so he was born on July 17th and is weighing in at five pounds and six ounces. So congratulations, guys, and Josh is one of our pastors here, and so looking forward to having him back. Uh, Today, we're going to continue on in our series, Did Jesus Say That? And today, we're going to be talking about, did Jesus give us the direct will of God for our life? And so when we make wrong decisions, can we mess up the will of God? I'm actually quite excited about this sermon. And actually, this is a question that I've personally wrestled with. I remember when I was about to graduate, we had to fill out that pre-graduation assessment and, you know, it's your gifting and you check all the boxes. And then as you kind of navigate through it, they give you a list of options, career options. I remember feeling all the anxiety of, okay, what if I choose wrong? You know, these are the types of decisions that will affect me for the rest of my life. I often felt like I was going into a megastore or a Costco, and whatever I selected had these lifetime consequences, good or bad. Well, I filled out an application to Berkeley and an application to Briarcus Bible College. I prayed about it. 
It agonized me. And eventually God led me to a decision. But I also remember really agonizing over a summer job. And so I had two jobs before me. One of the jobs was a high-paying job, and it would give me the benefit of not carrying debt into my college life. And then the other job was a phenomenal ministry position at Camp Quanos, where I would be a counselor and I could pursue music. And I remember waking up in the middle of the night not knowing what to do. And as I talked to my father and to friends and to family, they're like, well, Steve, you don't want to carry all that debt, you know, beyond college. Because ministry doesn't pay well. And for some reason, it just didn't sit right with me. And I was walking down the hallway in the music wing at Briarcrest Bible College. And one of the profs named Ken Dosso left his door open. And I remember wandering into his office, sitting down, and I presented the two options to him. I said, hey, what do you think? Should I choose the job that will kind of help me get through financially? Or should I choose this ministry opportunity where it really doesn't pay much? But I'm, I'm, I'm torn. Ken said this. You know, really, how much more money are you going to make if you take the Quanos position? I don't know, maybe, you know, three or $4,000, I said. And he said, think about the big picture. In 10 to 20 years from now, is that $4,000 really going to make a difference? Huh. It was this three-minute conversation and when I walked out, I knew that I had to go to Camp Quanos. But you too may be facing different decisions related to your career or your relationships. You know, what, what do I do? Do I get married? Do I not get married? Do I change jobs or not? You know, for some, it's, you know, do I have kids? Or do I have a cat or a dog? Or a guinea pig. Hey, it's trending right now. But there are just so many, many decisions in life. And there's so many things that seem to consume us. And with all these choices, they're connected to the bigger question. Can I make a wrong decision? And fall away from the will of God. And it's no surprise that so many of us are desperate to know the will of God. That we, we really want to know before each decision. And so today I want to talk about how can you discover that. Today I want to put these things into three categories. The sovereign will of God. The prescribed will of God. And the direct will of God. And today I want to answer the question, how do we know if we are doing God's will or not? So first, the question is, what is God's sovereign will? 
What is God's sovereign will? Well, look with me at Matthew 7, 21. And this is what it says. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. And so I want you to notice that it's, it's really important that we understand what the will of God is because it's our way into heaven. And so what is God's sovereign will? Well, it's God's rule over creation and history and what is to come. He means that God is this all-powerful creator who preserves and steers all things into his plan. That God just didn't create the world and then leave it. But God is actively relating to his creation and to each of us. But I want you to see that God is in control of the big things in life. God is in control of the big events of life. Look with me at Ephesians 1.11. It says this, In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Notice the words, who works all things, all things according to the counsel of his will. You know, we, st- we just did a series in Romans, and we really did sink deep in this, that God works everything, all circumstances out for his glory and his good. But not only that, he works those out for our good. Let's look at Isaiah 49, 9. It says, I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me. Then catch this. Declaring the end from the beginning, and from ancient times, things not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish my purposes. So these verses are saying that no matter what happens in the world, God is steering all these things for his will, for his purposes. So the Bible is saying that God is in control of the big events, like creation, like Noah's flood, and like the crucifixion of Christ. Oh, but God is still also in control of the events of today. So if there's an earthquake, or a hurricane, or a tornado, God is still at work no matter what happens. That God is sovereign, even if we struggle to understand terrorism, and things like 9-11, Or what is going on right now in the world? God is even in control in a pandemic. He knows the beginning from the end. So the question is, 
Because does God just control the big events? No, God also controls the little things in life. Look with me at Matthew 10, 29 to 30. It says this. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are numbered. But notice that not even a sparrow will fall apart from God. And so, you know, if, if a bird dies, it falls, it, that is part of God's will. If my cat catches a bird and brings it and puts it on my porch, that is, again, a part of what God willed for that day. But God also says he knows even the hairs on our head, the number. And I don't know if you've ever tried to count how many hairs are on your head. I mean, some of us, it is easier than others. But think of that times a billion people. God knows every single person so intimately. He knows every detail of your life. Why? Because he is God and he is in control. Psalm 139.16 says, that your eyes saw my unformed substance in your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, Notice that these, the, the days of our life, that, that God is intimately involved and he's forming them. Even before we lived them, he knew your story. The details of what you would go through, the pain, the joy, the good and the bad. That God is somehow sovereign in the middle of it and working it all out for your good and for mine, because it's all part of his plan. I remember a time when I was driving on this beautiful sunny day in winter. There was about six feet of snow on each side of the road. And as I was driving, I was turning with the bend. And I hit black ice. The back of the car started to swerve. And as I was going around the corner, another car was coming straight for me. And everything slowed down, and it was like I was in slow motion. But I knew this. If I overcorrected, I would spin, and it would end badly as the car would hit me. But if I overcorrected the other way, I would also spin the other direction, and the car would hit me. And somehow in that moment, God gave me the wisdom and the insight in, the, in a split second to not overcorrect, but not undercorrect, and slightly swerve and hit the ditch. Well, when I hit the ditch, the other risk was rolling. And somehow, as soon as the momentum hit the snow. The only thing I saw was this white. 
but I felt the car roll, but then come down before it completed. But in that moment, I knew that God was in control. I don't know if he sent an angel to protect me. I don't know exactly how it happened, but for some reason I walked away. And when I got out of the car, I saw other cars hitting the ditch and colliding. And it didn't work out for them. But what do we say about this incident? Was I just lucky? Did I just escape by chance? Did I just happen to make the right decision at the right time? Was it a miracle? What was it? But what if I tell you a story in which someone got in a bad accident and someone was killed? It was horrific. Someone lost a leg or an arm. Would we say that it was because of God's sovereignty or it was it just because they made a dumb decision? So my point is, was the accident by chance or is God still in control even when bad things happen to good people? The Bible says that even when bad things happen, we don't miss God's will. That he knows the beginning from the end of your story and my story. In other words, the Bible says that we are not at the mercy of random chaos. That he is a God of order. He's a God that knits things together for his good. That he takes the bad things and the good things and somehow steers them according to his plan. So the question is, well, are we just robots then? Does God absolutely control everything that we do? Well, the answer is no. As you're going to see, God leaves room for us to make decisions and we are responsible for them. Charles Spurgeon says this. The Christian believes that an invisible hand is always on the world's tiller and that wherever providence may drift, Jehovah steers it. That reassuring knowledge prepares him for everything. He looks over the raging water and sees the spirit of Jesus treading the billows and he hears a voice saying, it is I, be not afraid. And so, believing that God rules all, that he governs wisely, that he brings good out of evil, the believer's heart is assured and he is enabled calmly to meet each trial as it comes. But honestly, a skeptic would say, well, no, this all happens by chance. Right? You know, chance plays a role in ordinary life, 
but it also plays a role in scientific theories. Think of Darwinism. Darwinism says that life first originated just by chance. That random mutations led gradually to other forms of life. So how do we respond then to chance and things like Darwinism? Well, what is this idea of chance that Darwinism builds on? Someone put it this way. Think about a random explosion happening in a photocopier room. And somehow, by chance, it creates the most amazing library of all time. That's exactly what Darwinism believes. That random chaos, a random explosion, poof, and it falls into order. Have you ever seen that happen? In fact, I think it actually takes more faith to believe that than it does in an all-powerful God who is in control. But also, if you follow that the train of thinking all the way to the end in which Darwinism builds that foundation. That means there is no purpose for you. That you are random. There is no order. But yet God tells us he created us with a plan. With perfect order. And even though sin came in and caused chaos, God is working it all out for are good. This means whoever is president or prime minister, God is working it out for his glory. It means if you are in a difficult marriage or you're struggling at home or struggling with loneliness, it means God is in control. You may ask the question, did I marry the wrong person? Did I bring the wrong kid home from the hospital? Well, maybe. No. God is saying you didn't, unless the social workers came and got the kid back. Yeah, okay, fine. But my point is, God had a perfect plan for you, despite the difficulty. But somehow sin made its way in. And yes, you're going to make wrong choices, but God is using all these details to make a masterpiece. It should give us assurance that all the good and the bad things in life are from his hand. So to answer the question, can we miss God's sovereign will? The answer is no. It cannot be broken or disobeyed. It will come to pass. So secondly, to find God's direction for our life, we must understand what prescribed will is. Again, this is a different category. So the question is, what is God's prescribed will? What is God's prescribed will? Well, look with me at Matthew seven twenty-one, And this is what it says. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of the Father. 
Notice the words, the one who does the will of the Father. So remember, Jesus is talking about a future event. A time in which you die. And you stand before God and you say, Lord, Lord, King, King, let me in to the kingdom of heaven. And he says, yes or no. It depends on whether you did the will of the Father. Uh, Okay. That's a pretty big question. I mean, it's something that I think we should probably figure out if you want to go to heaven. Because as, as he's saying, it is the key to all things here. So what is the will of the Father? Well, it's God's prescribed will for her life. It's talking about a life of obedience, which is connected to knowing Jesus in order to enter into the kingdom of God. In other words, God's prescribed will can be broken. It can be disregarded and disobeyed every day of our life. Let me highlight a few passages where Jesus tells us what his prescribed will is for us. Let's start with the Great Commission. Matthew 28, 18 to 20. And Jesus says, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Right there, the the first commandment. Therefore, go and make disciples. Then he goes on to say, Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. The second commandment. So make disciples. Baptize them. Then he says, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. All that I have commanded you. So here it is. The the will of God in this passage doesn't refer to God's ordained things. But they are directions for us. That if we live in his will, we will make disciples. We will baptize them. And we will teach them all that he has commanded us. But let's keep reading. There's other examples in scripture. John 14, 15 says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Acts 5, 29, We must obey God rather than men. 1 Peter 1, 14, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. 1 John 5, 3, for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. So that is the will of God. That, That our will becomes his will. That there's a point in which you love God so much that you delight in keeping his commandments. That it brings you joy. That it's something that you can't wait to do because you know you're bringing other people into the kingdom of God. It's not like, oh, do I have to? Do I have to serve that person again? Do I have to love them right now? Think of it this way. Think about those times you've been really, really sick. And you've had to go to the doctor for a prescription. Last year, I remember actually waiting eight hours to get my prescription. 
But when you go there, the doctor writes up a prescription for whatever medicine so that you can treat the injury. And in most cases, after the medicine is prescribed, it's your responsibility to pick it up, to take the right measured dose and administer it. Right? It's your responsibility. The doctor has given you the direction. Here's what you need. Here's the medicine. Do this. And if you don't take it, you know what happens. You usually don't get better, right? However, there's also times in which we cannot apply the prescription ourselves. That we must actually go to a medical professional so that they can help administer it. And and we use their expertise. But the point is that we go and get the help that we need. That it is being prescribed to us. And that we have to follow the right directions. In a similar way, God has prescribed what is best for us and tells us to administer it to ourselves and to each other. He he does that through the gospel message. And then he sends the Holy Spirit to counsel us and give us direction. And he leads us to Christ who prescribes what we need. It is therefore the will of God that we don't live in sin. It is therefore the will of God that, that we don't have any other gods before him. That that we forgive others. That we love others well. It's the will of God that we refrain from things like lying, stealing, coveting, slandering. You name it. But it is also the will of God that we make disciples of Jesus and do it with joy. And whenever we don't do this, We are violating the prescribed will of God. So to summarize, there's two categories in God's will. God's sovereign will, where he is in control. And God's prescribed will, in which he's giving us direction. And we are responsible. The thing is, is how do those two work together well? Well, first of all, it's God who works them together, and there's a bit of mystery there. But the best way that I've come to understand this relationship is that God brings about his sovereign will through the free choice of human beings. That people make real choices, and there's real consequences. But God is still in control of the outcome of those choices. So, to answer the question, can we miss God's prescribed will for our life? The answer is yes. So, lastly, then what is God's direct will for our life? What is God's direct will for our life? To be honest, this is most of the time the question that we are trying to answer it's the, the questions that keep us up at night. Do I get this job or do I not? Do I come or do I go? Right? Look with me again at Matthew six twenty five. It says this. 
Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body or what you will put on. And then jumping down to the end, for the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. So here's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, stop worrying about the future and your needs. He's saying, don't worry. Be happy. Kind of. But here's the thing. God knows what you need to carry on for tomorrow. God knows the number of your days. He knows exactly all the resources that you need, like food, housing, drink, Everything you need to glorify him until the day you die. And on that day, when you leave this earth, you leave because it is his will. So all our worrying and obsessing about the future, trying to figure out the direct will of God, will not add one single hour to our life. And it certainly won't make you more like Christ. In fact, our worrying and our anxiety says that we don't trust God. It's this issue in which we, you know, kind of live out our own dreams and our own will. To borrow from Kevin DeYoung, he says this, So here's the real heart of the matter. Does God have a secret will of direction that he expects us to figure out before we do anything? Again, I'm going to read it. Does God have a secret will and direction for your life that you must figure out before you do it? It's kind of like, does he put you in an escape room and you must figure out how to get out before you can proceed with your life? Well, the answer is no. Yes, God has a specific plan for your life. And yes, we can be assured that he works all things out for our good in Christ Jesus. And as we look back, we can see what God has been doing to put things together. But in the moment, we may not understand. It may not seem good. It may not seem like it's what you want But here's the assurance that God has a specific plan for your life. Yes, he does. But he does not expect you to figure it out before you do anything. So then what is God's will for your life? It's this. Keep on reading. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Again, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Jesus is saying that is the will of God for your life. It gives us a clear target to aim for as we make decisions. God's will for our life is not sitting idle. 
It's not just doing our own thing or doing nothing until we get clear direction from God. What the Bible is saying is just do something. Do something in which you are seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That is God's direct will for your life. It's that simple. And somehow we overcomplicate it and end up doing absolutely nothing. At times we can even over-spiritualize, you know, what we eat every day. You know, should I have hot dogs or craft dinner? Should I go golfing or should I stay home? You know, if we don't get a clear sign from God, we absolutely just sit idle, do nothing, wait for Jesus to come. But actually, he's calling you to run hard after him and his commandments and his glory. The decision to be in God's will is not a choice between restaurants and beaches. It's a daily decision to seek his face and his kingdom rather than yours. And sometimes we can make all these fancy plans for ourselves. And when we don't get them, we become miserable. But actually, it's because you're not following God's will for your life. His will is submitting to his lordship. And it's not living for yourself. So the question God cares most about is not your education or where you live, but it's do you love the Lord with all your heart, mind, soul, and do you love your neighbor as yourself? And just to clarify, at times God will help you make decisions and give you clarity. That's wisdom at play. There's times in which we need to stop and rest before God. But if that happens as a continual pattern of not engaging and making disciples and, and obeying God's commandments, you are not in God's will. Quickly, here are some guideposts to making good decisions. First is that we seek godly input, as Proverbs tells us. That we pay attention to how God has wired you and I. First Peter says that. That we surrender your will to God's. And that we listen to God's spirit. I think the problem in our Western world is that we actually have too many choices. Right? We, we walk into the mall and it's almost like, okay, uh, where do I even start or begin? However, as we try to make all these choices, we can almost do nothing or be so concerned or so caught up and not serve God and how he wants you to serve. We create again these fancy plans for our life in which we think are God's will. When we get them, as God steers us in another direction, we start to follow God's will. 
To illustrate this, a young man named Chris Norton, he says this, I was a college football player. I saw the opening for a tackle, but I mistimed my jump by a split second. Instead of being in the front of the ball, I collided with the ball carrier's leg. And in an instant, I lost all feeling and momentum from my neck down. And I was told that I would be, uh, never be able to walk again. I could have let that define me, but our lives aren't shaped by circumstances. His story continues. As someone who had all the skills, he was a high-level athlete, and again, God had different plans. Here's a video that tells his story. As an 18-year-old kid, I was playing college football in Decorah, Iowa at Luther College. I lined up on the right side of the field. The ball is kicked and I run, I dive, but I mistime my jump just by a split second. In an instant, I lose all feeling and movement from my neck down. I wake up on October 17, 2010, thinking I just had the worst nightmare of my life. But then the surgeon comes in and my nightmare becomes my reality. He says, Chris, you have a 3% chance of ever regaining any feeling or movement back below your neck. I was stunned, but sometimes God has a better plan for you than the plan you had for yourself. Growing up, I had an amazing family. Um, we lived in Muscatine, Iowa. I prayed in high school. I said, God, I just want you to use me. I want you to use me to bring you to others and to just help others know that they are loved and that they are special and chosen and that you have great plans for their lives. About nine months after my injury, I returned to campus and I set the goal that I'm gonna walk across the stage of my college graduation. I didn't know how I was going to do it, but I was just gonna work as hard as I possibly could to make it happen. And so I poured in as much as I could into this graduation walk. When I first met Chris, I had felt like I always knew him. It was way easier um, just to talk to him. He was such a great listener, and we instantly were connected. I thought Emily was the one right when I met her. I mean, she was way out of my league. She was beautiful, even more beautiful on the inside than the outside, which is saying something. And she just has this heart of gold where she just wants to help others. She always is giving. I knew that if I had Chris, that everything was going to be okay in life. Walking Emily down the aisle of our wedding was such a beautiful moment to share with her, someone I love more than anything in the world. Being a foster parent is by far the best thing I've ever done. It is my passion. I truly believe it's the reason that I'm here. I thought I was disqualified to be a foster parent because of my situation, but God doesn't call the qualified, He qualifies the call. God was so present in our lives. It helped stretch my heart and open me to do even more than what I thought was possible. The transformations and miracles that God has performed in kids' lives, and it is amazing to be able to be a part of that every single day of just spreading love and helping these kids realize how special and loved and chosen they truly are. My faith has given me the courage to go forward. 
uh, it gave me hope, uh, this light at the end of the tunnel when I was first hurt. I want others to know that life's lowest moments can be our greatest blessing and that we can use them, those moments to help others, to give back, make a difference, make the world a better place. Uh, God has a beautiful way of putting messes together. And so no matter how broken you are, no matter how lost you are, keep going. I don't know about you, but that story challenges me. I love the line where he says, you know, God's presence was so strong in my life as he was going through that difficulty and suffering. Why? Because it's God's will for our life to become more like Christ. And God used all those circumstances to do exactly that. And what a beautiful story they now have. No, he doesn't play professional football, but he's a foster parent loving on kids and living out his faith in a different way. And as I was listening to his greater story, he is, has more joy than ever, and he said he wouldn't trade that for a moment. It's because God doesn't assure us of health and success or ease. His promise is much better. His promise is to make us more loving and pure and humble like Christ. So in short, it's God's will for our life to be happy and loving in Christ. I want to close with three questions. Question number one is, how can I better seek the kingdom of God and have a long-term effect? Take a moment to reflect on that question. Or how can I serve most effectively and fruitfully in the local church? Or how can I free myself up to help make more rounded disciples for Christ? That is God's will for your life and for my life. So in closing, just do something for Jesus. Put aside the passivity. Put aside the comfort. Make a decision to run after him. And if you're seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, you will be in God's will. So get out and do something. Let's pray together. God, thank you for this message. And God, as we wrestle with your sovereignty and your prescribed will, God, help us to recognize it is all about following you. And so God, when we fall down and make mistakes, help us to stand up and run for you. To build your kingdom and experience your joy in this amazing adventure that you've given us. And so God, speak to those who are listening. Help them to see clearly what they need to do right now in this moment and tomorrow. In Jesus' name, I pray.